Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. And I'm Valana Hayek, a reporter on the Cross Asset team. And this week on the show, well, a few weeks ago, we talked about the U-turn that had happened in markets with some of the moves triggered by optimism about vaccines and the reopening of the economy reversing and going the other way. Well, strap on your chin straps because it's all going back the other way now. Value in cyclical stocks are outperforming once again, and the yield curve is once again steepening. So what's going on? Is the new old, the old new again? And can we expect these trends to continue? We'll get into it with Chris Gaffney, who's the head of world markets at TIAA Bank. And of course, we'll close out the show with the craziest thing we saw in markets this week. And remember, if you see anything crazy, give us a call on the podcast hotline at 646 324 Three four nine zero. Leave us a voicemail and maybe we'll play your craziest thing on the show. Well, Donna, one thing that's crazy is this weather. This is the, th- uh, the type of weather where an old guy like me is forced to ask the age old question. You ready? I'm ready. Hot enough for you? <laughs> well, I was actually just before uh, we started chatting, I was reading uh, a story from one of our colleagues and one of the quotes really struck me was about the heat wave that's hitting New York City this week where where I live. Uh, and it said all the cement is going to radiate heat indoors. It'll be life th- uh, life threatening situation, which is. Oh, my goodness. Well, you just took you just took this to a very dark place. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to. <laughs> I, I, I was hoping for some lighthearted banner. And, and now. <laughs> well, the, the cement that's going to radiate heat indoors, is, is that's the part that struck me. I probably shouldn't that, have read the second is, part. Didn't mean to good. scare you. Well, I like that your answer was grounded in, in well and in well-sourced reporting there. Not just not nothing off the top of the head for Valdana. She comes with with the actual reporting. My secret is, and Valdana, this is something as a Jersey native you'll appreciate. My secret is Italian ice. I can take any type of weather as long as the Italian ice store is open. And we got a good new one in town. So uh, I don't think you've got as good uh, of an Italian ice selection as, as we do here in New Jersey and New York. Are you talking about Rita's? That's no, like no. a New Jersey. Rita's is good. I'm talking about, they're actually a friend of the family, De Cosmos. They only have two stores. They've been making Italian ice, or as we call in Philly, Wooder Ice. Wooder. W- W-O-O-D-E-R, mm-hmm. Wooder Ice. I know, no one knows what you're talking about, but in Philly they do. Uh, 
105 years they've been making Italian ice in Elizabeth and now new store in Metuchen. I didn't mean this to be a plug for the, the Cosmos, but so be it. My friends, my local friends will laugh because I'm kind of obsessed with them. I, I, I've got a bit of an Italian ice problem, but in this heat, it, it's the best remedy. Even if, I don't know what the concrete's going to start melting on us or something, you're telling me? Honestly, you have me sold on the water ice. Oh, w- water ice. Water ice. <laughs> All right. Well, even with even with the melting concrete, that, that should be enough to, to keep us cool. But let's bring in our guest. Um, first time on the show. As I said, he's from TIAA Bank. His name is Chris Gaffney. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks much. I, I appreciate you the invitation and I look forward to the uh, discussion today. Cool. Yeah, Chris, I'm going to start you off with an easy question. I just want to know. I don't, I'm not very familiar with the world markets uh, department of TIA bank. Um, I'm guessing out some Forex services, that, that type of thing. Talk us through what, what your, your group does and, and what your role is there. So we offer individual investors the ability to invest into currencies, um, both for transactional purposes and for investments, and then uh, precious metals. So I run a currency and precious metals desk. Um, it's kind of unique. Uh, you, you, you know, the institutions play in that field a lot, um, but typically investor, individual investors, uh, you know, have a tougher time finding uh, the availability of currency investments in, in uh, precious metals. So we're big on diversification, uh, obviously. So we, we think they're, uh, they're good asset classes. And uh, I've been in this, uh, doing this job for, I guess, uh, 30 plus years, 35 years now. So been in it a while. Still a rookie, huh? Yeah. (laughs) And Chris, I was going to ask you, you and I chat from time to time, and I really enjoy our conversations. I always turn to you when something's going on with markets and I need an explainer. And so I was hoping you could sort of start us out just giving us a sense of how you're making sense with what's going on with the stock market. Because coming into August, I remember there was tons of fear about sort of seasonal volatility factor and August uh, was supposed to be a much choppier month. And, and here we are, we're at record highs. It's been sort of tranquil. So how are you making sense of everything that's going on? It, it's been great markets. Uh, I, I mean, and, and it all goes back to the economic environment here in the U.S. I mean, this is just a fantastic economic environment for companies and, and stock performance always goes back to, to earnings, to company earnings. So um, you know, we've got low interest rates, we've got um, pent up demand, and then you've got extremely strong consumer and corporate balance sheets. So all those add up to uh, markets that are, you know, uh, I use the word slogging higher because it's it's not a dramatic rise that we've seen. Certainly, the the numbers are pretty eye popping when you compare it to, you know, the 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 depths of, of the fall. But uh um, you know, we're just marching higher, uh, continually marching higher. And, and something you brought up about choppiness, we, we expected a lot more choppiness in these markets. I mean, we, we thought volatility was going to be pretty high um, with all the push pulls that we're seeing. But, you know, we've, we've really just seen a slow and steady uh, increase in these markets, almost, almost boring at times. I, you know, I'm, I hate to use that because now we'll, we'll see a dramatic swing. But uh, um, you know, they've just been marching higher. Well, one choppiness I'm guessing your team must have had their eye on was that that uh, plunge in gold to start the week. Um, even before the week started, I guess, it, what was it, Sunday night? Uh, you know, 
Yeah, the the precious metals prices, you know, conspiracy theorists will tell you that, you know, they're they always move on the weekends because the markets are, you know, uh, there's less liquidity out there and the big moves always come on the weekends. And quite honestly, we we you know, we we couldn't figure out exactly what drove that drop. Um, Maybe it was the jobs data, you know, the coming in stronger and um, looking, you know, the 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 focus of investors shifted from. Uh, a worry about, you know, uh, about a slowdown to act a strong labor, strong GDP growth. And that's not necessarily positive for for the uh, precious metals. You know, gold is is seen as a risk uh, hedge and along with inflation hedge. So um, good, strong uh, markets, good, strong labor growth uh, probably weighed on the price of gold. And Chris, you just mentioned you guys had thought that the market was going to be a lot more choppy. There's so many superlatives we can say about this market. One that has been standing standing out for me in recent days is, you know, we're up more than 30% from the previous peak that we had reached before the pandemic. And so I'm just wondering why it's been so hard to call what's been going on with, with the market and, and with stocks just continuing to, I forget the word you used, trudge higher. Yeah, slog higher. Slog. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it comes back to, you know, we expected choppiness because um, we're in unprecedented times, obviously. And and when when you're trying to project where the markets are going to go or even economic data, um, you typically rely on models. And, and the economic models, when, when you have the dramatic shutdown of an economy and absolutely stopping everything, um, and then the, the fairly rapid recovery, those models just don't work. Um, so, you know, trying to project where we're going to be trying to even even free cash flows. Uh, I mean, you know, when when companies have to shut down and then start back up, um, you know, the it, it the base effect on uh, is one item that, you know, the, the numbers were so bad that, of course, they're going to be really good on the recovery. Um, but another thing is you, it, the comparisons. You you just can't make those comparisons, and it's kind of thrown the models out of whack. So uh, projections. I, I think most people thought economists weren't going to be able to really dial in where we were going. But uh, um, it's. I'm glad to see we've been marching steadily higher. You know, Chris. I'm wondering the perspective uh, of some of your clients um, who might be internationally focused. Um, you know, obviously one of the big themes we heard a lot about earlier this year and, and sort of at the beginning of the year um, was a lot of people were bracing for sort of a, an outperformance of international equities outside of the U.S. Um, to some degree, we've kind of seen that. You know, I'm looking at the Bloomberg screen here of uh, developed markets. U.S. is about 11th place out of 24. You know, there's a lot of European markets, uh, Austria, Sweden, Netherlands, France, Denmark do, doing better. What's kind of what's kind of the sentiment at this stage of the year in, in the game? Is there has that bullishness for sort of the the rest of the world worn off? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, yeah. You know, personally, I'm still bullish on Europe. And it's really about the reopening. You know, the U.S. was first to really reopen. Well, China was first, but then the U.S. came in and, and reopened. And, uh, you know, with our vaccine uh, policy, our vaccinations, although it's stalled out now, uh, we were able to reopen more quickly than Europe. Uh, Europe was a little slower to reopen. So, you know, we we probably hit that uh, reopening um, surge faster than Europe. And, and I still think Europe's going to going to come back. And, and I think there's opportunities. Also, 
valuations just favor um, some other um, other markets besides the U.S. And then on top of all of that, you've got the dollar. And and you know, anytime you you invest internationally, unless you had your currency exposure, you're also investing in the currency of of that market that you're investing in. So. Um, you know, the dollar going into this uh, was very strong. It, 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 it got even stronger at the beginning of the pandemic because we saw a lot of safe haven buying of the U.S. dollar. Uh, international investors came to the dollar, came to treasuries. Um, we're still seeing them. The 10-year market yesterday was, was bought by uh, central banks so, um, and, and outside investors. So we're still seeing some of that. Um, the dollar declined over, uh, over last year, but so far this year, it's starting to, to move higher again. So um, I, I still think that we're going to see a dollar decline and, and mainly due to interest rate differentials. Um, but um, I, I do think there's opportunities overseas still, although the U.S. market is still, I, I think, going to march higher. your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. And speaking of international markets, I think you and your team are favorable towards China. And correct me if I'm wrong, but but I'm wondering if you think what's been happening and playing out with China over the last couple of weeks really is more of a localized event or maybe something that could potentially spill over into other parts of the world. And, and how are you thinking about the Chinese markets? I think the yuan or, or renminbi, uh, whichever you want to call it, the Chinese currency, um, is still a good buy. I, I think that it's it's a currency that will continue to perform if if the uh, if the government of China lets it. Um, I think that uh, the Chinese markets. I mean, I mean, it's it's the second largest, some uh, by some measures, the largest economy. Um, the Delta variant is is certainly probably having an impact there, and so we could see some slowdown. But uh, specifically on the regulation, I think it's. You know, you can look at it two ways. It's it's either the Chinese government being heavy-handed and trying to get control um, of their economy, which, in a way, you know, you understand that the governments want to control what's going on in their economy. Um, but you know, are they going to go too far and and try to take it back into the communist? I, I don't believe that. I, I I think that they'll continue to to walk this tightrope between capitalism and communism and. And try to keep their markets free and open uh, as as much as they are. Uh, you could argue that they're not, but uh, um, I, I think the regulation is just a sign of a maturing economy and, and a maturing market. They know that in order to truly take their place among the world stage, investors have to rely and, and trust on economic data, trust on company reports, trust that there's no. Uh, fraud, if you will. And so some of the regulations that they're passing um, are actually positive. And I, I think a, a sign that they are trying to, you know, mature that market and trying to um, be able to give investors confidence. Now, obviously, it, it's caused the the opposite impact. Uh, investors have worried that they're going to come in and, and maybe take control of certain industries. And uh, that's certainly a, uh, a concern and, and could grow into something bigger. Um, but right now, I, I think the Chinese economy continues to do very well, uh, growing at a good clip. 
And uh, as long as they don't get too heavy handed, uh, I think it will continue. They've got just uh, huge consumer uh, demand in China, um, got uh, good, uh, good exports into the rest of Asia and in the U.S. and Europe. So as the U.S. and Europe recovers, uh, I think China uh, continues to do well. Yeah, the, the regulation, I mean, that's made all the headlines, all, the, all these, every day you wake up to a new sort of crackdown on some industry in China. And, and, and to me, that strikes me as, at least for now, predominantly a, a domestic risk to say Chinese assets, you know, equities, uh, especially um, maybe to some degree to the corporate bond market. But one thing I read this week uh, out of China that kind of struck me as maybe something that the rest of the world needs to worry about is the credit credit expansion Uh Credit in China growing at at sort of the weakest pace since the the height of the the pandemic, and I know this is something that a lot of in, in, internationally focused investors look at is the the credit impulse in China um, uh, as sort of a, a symbol of you know for years we've all been focused on exports out of China, but you have to start thinking about that domestic demand, the imports into China, that consumer demand, like you talked about. Is is credit expansion in China anything that you keep your eye on? Is it any you know? Does this slow down worry you at all? Yeah, it certainly does because uh, obviously the world runs on credit. Uh, consumers especially um, run on credit. So um, you know, a slowdown would mean uh, or or would signal maybe a, a a possible slowdown in the overall economy. Some of that is due to though uh, them reining in some of the. Um, credit uh, markets and, and tightening down control on some of the credit uh, that that was going on there. So, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. slowdown isn't necessarily uh, really concerning to me right now, but certainly keeping an eye on it. And it absolutely is something we we monitor across the global economy. It's one of the things that um, drives currency, obviously, and, and demand for currency. So certainly something we we monitor. And just to bring us back to the U.S. and speaking of consumers, my team and, and I were looking at some research reports of just consumer behavior and credit card spending and Apple mobility data and some of those things just over the last week, over the last two weeks with the Delta variant. And it's sort of a mixed picture right now. You know, you have reopenings, obviously, but then at the same time, mask mandates in certain areas and, and so on. So how should we be thinking about the Delta variant, especially as it relates to the market. So yeah, I think the Delta variant is really the largest risk to the to the markets right now. Um, and you know, as as we see um, hospitalizations climb, uh, although you know they they seem to be peaking now, it, it's certainly something that that concerns uh, the market now. You know, I, I think Southwest recently announced that their bookings are down because of the Delta uh, variant. And if we start to see restrictions, uh, more restrictions and and um, not I don't think we're going to get the lockdowns. I, I just don't think uh, uh, the public's going to uh, going to go that route. Um, they're they're going to um, you know, we we we've seen in St. Louis where I live. Uh, a big rise in in COVID, and Missouri was one of the big hot states. So, um, you know, we're starting to wear masks again, and and starting some of those. But the 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 more harsher lockdowns and, and closings, I, I don't think we're going to get there. Um, but it's certainly a risk, and uh, you know, it's something that we're going to have to continue to deal with. Uh, and you know, the the booster may be good, or or just getting those those vaccination rates up. I, I think is the key. 
and uh, hopefully we'll we'll see that increase. You know, Chris, I wanted to get back to that that notion of of FX. You know, you made a great point that obviously when you you know take an equity position in a in an overseas market, you're you're taking on that FX risk too. And it's been a pretty interesting year for the dollar. You know, I'm looking at sort of the, the dollar versus all the G, major G10 currencies. It's, it's up pretty strongly against all of them on the year, but it's been kind of a, a wild ride. You know, the, the looking at the Bloomberg dollar index, it, you know, started the first, say, quarter of the year very strong. Then it came back down the sort of flat line. Now it's back up again near the highs of the year. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I always think of that, that, what they call the dollar smile theory, you know, that a dollar does real well sort of in when the world's going to hell and everything's risk off. But then it also does really well uh, when, you know, things are going well, but the U.S. seems to be doing even better than than the rest of the world. Is it that latter part that we're seeing now in, in the dollar strength? And walk us through kind of what you think has been pushing the and pulling the dollar around this year. Uh, well, this year, yeah, it, it's definitely about the rebound and, and the U.S., the, the strong gains we saw in the U.S. That, that attracts investors. It attracts uh, international investors. And, of course, to buy the stock market uh, in the U.S., they have to buy dollars. So um, I, I think it's all about the, the, the strength we've seen so far this year is all about um, the, the equity performance and, and investors coming into the U.S. and, and the outperformance maybe of 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 our economy and, and early um, recovery. The main thing we look at for, for currencies, though, one of the main things is, is interest rate differentials. And, um, you know, we were in an odd place over the past uh, few years, probably five to seven years, where, um, you know, the dollar was uh, in U.S. interest rates were actually uh, lower um, or, or higher than most of the rest of the world. So, um, you know, the interest rates, when, when the U.S. interest rates are higher, U.S. investments usually are risk-free. They're, they're the uh, cream of the crop. So usually the interest rates in the U.S. are a little lower than the rest of the world. Um, but that, that uh, changed. And with the Europe going negative interest rates and, and a lot of, you know, J- Japan going negative interest rates, we saw the U.S. interest rates higher. And that caused this dollar strength. And it caused a, a five or six years of dollar strength. Um, that started to reverse last year. The, the mentality was um, U.S. was going to start, um, you know, keep rates lower for longer. We kept hearing Powell say lower for longer, lower for longer. The U.S. rates are going to stay down here and the rest of the world starting to, to hike rates. Um, I think we're going to get back to that thinking um, as the U.S. holds holds the line on, on interest rates. We're already starting to see you know, Norway and, and some of the other Australia and New Zealand start talking about raising rates, even Canada. So as you see these other countries start raising interest rates, that interest rate differential is going to switch back to the foreign currency. So that is is one of the things that I'm basing uh, my thought that the dollar um, will start sliding again as, as you see those interest rate differentials start to, to change. So um, I, I think the dollar um, you know, it's strong right now. And if, if we see a, of some of these risks that we talk about come back, uh, I think you'll see safe haven flows. Um, but again, I, in my opinion, uh, you know, there's there's other markets that are going to start performing well as they uh, come out of the pandemic. And that's going to help their currencies. So I, I think the dollar will start to decline again towards the end of the year. Mike, can I admit something embarrassing? Oh, absolutely. I've asked Chris to 
to define interest rate differentials at least 30 different times for me. And every single time I'm like, yep, I got it. <laughs> but that was a really great explanation. Oh, I was hoping for something really embarrassing, Vildana. Like, this you know, is embarrassing. Like, <laughs> like you're wearing bell-bottom jeans or something. I don't know. That, that, that's it's not just, if I can, it's not just straight interest rates. I mean, you know, you can go to uh, Brazil and get, you know, some pretty high interest rates, but they have high inflation also. So you have to look at the real interest rate. You have to look at the difference between um, between the the nominal rate and and inflation rate. And, uh, uh, you know, it's that's what really drives uh, investors. So um, typically they're going to go for the, you know, there's the typical carry trade is where an investor goes for uh, real interest rates that are higher, um, invests in the currency and, and, you know, thinks that the currency is going to move higher and along with uh, getting that positive carry on the on the interest rate. your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Yeah, Chris, I wonder how noisy that potentially can can get when you've got, you know, uh, sort of the... If you were a believer in in that these supply bottlenecks are a big part of the inflation story right now, you know, as... It seems to me like maybe bottlenecks could start resolving in certain geographies and not others. You know, where are we going to have, say, uh, transient inflation being a little bit longer in, in one spot than the other? You know, is is that a you know, is that a risk that of sort of false signals being sent by inflation data that comes back to Earth in some places spikes up again in others? But but it all being sort of noise compared to what you know we can expect in the longer term. Great point. And, and yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, it, it can be very tough. Uh, you know, back to my um, previous comment about, you know, we're in unprecedented times. Uh, uh, these supply bottlenecks, when you when you shut everything down, not everything can open up right away. And then, um, you know, shipping and, and, you know, even opening some of the commodity mines, uh, it's tough. But, uh, um, you know, the inflation, I think, is transient. A lot of the inflation is transient. And, and I was I, I really liked Paul's explanation of what transient is. He was asked uh, uh, at the at his last press conference about transient. And, and it's not that the prices are going to go back down. He's, we're not expecting prices to, to shift back down. They just won't keep increasing as quickly as we've seen. Now, you know, what could make inflation not transient is is wage growth. Uh, if, we, if we see continued strong wage growth, um, that puts more money in uh, consumers' pockets on a permanent basis, um, and, and that will lead to higher prices as demand comes back. So um, the supply bottlenecks, getting back to it, though, yes, absolutely, there's supply bottlenecks in certain sectors, and uh, that's going to drive, uh, obviously, when you cut supply you know, and demand is still there, you're going to see um, swings in prices in order to uh, alleviate that uh, the difference. So um, I think it's tough to read. Uh, again, uh, the economic data is pretty tough. It, it can be really noisy. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to when we, we get all this behind us and it, it starts uh, um, getting back to normal, if you will. 
You know, Chris, to educate Valdana on rate differentials, I'm going to I'm going to dig up some stories from the European debt crisis, Valdana, to, to show you how how ridiculous it can get. You know, that was that was uh, that was fun times. Um, <laughs> I mean, when when you had, uh, um, you know, but again, you know, the the interest rates uh, we we. I remember back in the European debt crisis, uh, I think it was Greece or, or Italy had uh, uh, interest rates. They were just uh, riding on, on on the German backing, the implicit German guarantee of their debt. And their their debt was trading well below U.S. debt at, at one point, which, uh, again, drove the dollar higher um, because of that. You know, and, and uh, when you could buy U.S. investments at, at a better real interest rate than than Greece or Italy, it, it definitely... Uh, uh, move the market. Well, you, you look at so, some of those spreads back then, you know, double digit percentages. It looked like you're, you know, it looked at the time like Europe was going to fail, that the Euro Union was going to fail completely. And uh, it, it, it's remarkable to think where we are now compared to then. I mean, I guess it's just the uh, the magic of the ECB money printer to some degree. I mean, they, but, they stabilized it. I mean, uh, you know, I you go back to, you know, the Germans uh, in, in uh, the ECB. Boy, I just I just uh, absolutely uh, it's not Lagarde. It was uh, uh, Draghi. Dra- Mario Draghi. Draghi. Draghi did a great job. You know, he was going to do anything he could to support the euro. Um, you know, yeah. you had the UK trying to leave at, at the time. So there was a lot going on those those days. And uh, yeah, it was it was volatile markets, very volatile markets. We saw some really wide swings in interest rates. Whatever you send me, Mike, it can be my uh, end of summer <laughs> beach reading. <laughs> you, you'll have nightmares about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. About, but that, that was the uh, that was the driver of all markets at time was the spread between either Italian and German debt yields or Greek. Greek and uh, Portugal and, and the German yields. I will. Uh, we'll get you up to speed on that, Valdana. And then that's going to be the thing you worry about the most. I guarantee it. I can't wait to read it. It's <laughs> funny how we just get past stuff like that too, though, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, that is in the rearview mirror, and and nobody ever talks about it anymore. So it's 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 kind of crazy how those those um, you know situations that you think are going to be around, you know, and and going to cause these dramatic swings that all of a sudden go away. Yeah. Well, I think tr- that draggy posture of whatever it takes is I-, I think every central banker around the world wrote down those words in a notebook somewhere and said, that's that's the party line you got to take at times like last year. Stand clear of the craziest things we saw in markets this week. Chris, uh, great stuff. Really appreciate all your insights. But now comes the big test for you. And that is uh, we got to hear the craziest thing you saw in markets this week. Um, you're not allowed on the podcast unless you come with a crazy thing. I've been in the business a long time. I, I go to a lot of investment conferences. And, and back in the day, um, there was an investment booth that was selling ostrich eggs. And uh, <laughs> it was back in the mid-90s. You can buy, a, uh, buy an ostrich egg, and they were encouraging people to become ostrich uh, ranchers. And literally, ostrich eggs that were going for, I think, 15 bucks a piece uh, all of a sudden shot up. I mean, it was just, everybody was getting into the market and they shot up to $3,000. Um, this was back in the mid nineties, but then as everything does, it, like the tulip craze, it, it met a very dramatic end. And those $3,000 ostrich eggs, uh, you know, uh, went back to uh, 15 or, or 20 bucks. So it was a dramatic fall. Well, I just read an article where 
they're starting to come back. I guess people that, you know, were during COVID wanted new pets or, or wanted to find a way to, to make some extra money around the house. And, and so, especially in Texas where there's bigger ranching, um, we, we're seeing a lot of um, interest in the, in the ostrich eggs. I, I, unfortunately, I think it may end up um, the same way as before. I, I mean, you know, but we're starting to see people, uh, doctors and lawyers starting to try to uh, flip ostriches. Uh, this might be the, my favorite craziest thing of, in the history of crazy things. Maybe ever. We, I got to find the prices of the ostrich eggs. I don't think we have the ticker on, on the Bloomberg. So, I couldn't find it on Bloomberg. So, <laughs> they're not well, exchange. What, what, would, what, what, would, what would be the ticker? <laughs> I don't know. We got, we got a, have you ever seen one? They're huge eggs. I mean, they, and this, this booth used to have them right there on, you know, they, they, they would show you what the ostrich egg looked like. But, you know, they're used for meat and leather. And so there's some good uses. But uh, I think they're pretty mean birds, too. So. I was going to say, yeah. Well, we got to find the data set on this. I need some price discovery on, on ostrich eggs. And yeah, I always thought, I always thought they were pretty ornery birds. I don't know if I'd want one as a pet. And what do you get? You got to go out and sit on an ostrich egg yourself for, for a few days. That's- you got to go steal it. And then uh, <laughs> I, I guess you, you, you know, you steal it from the bird and they don't like that. I don't think. All right. This, this is fantastic. I got to look further into that. This, that is my kind of story right there. Built on it. Well, Donna, that's a hard one to follow. I gotta say, I, uh, I know that's really that's a really good one. If, I, if I'll he, admit it. If if he had a, a real time price quote for me, it would have been better. But I, I'll, I'll we'll we'll get that. We'll get that. I'll get. I'll find a broker. I'll find a broker somewhere. Yeah, that that one was really. I can't. I can't really follow. <laughs> I was gonna give us my uh, my favorite headline that I saw on the Bloomberg terminal this week, which is. Uh, about the uh, garages that are being sold in New York City. So they're going for about $350,000 per parking spot in certain for certain garages in, in, in the city, which is just crazy. But I was going to ask you, Mike, how you think that stacks up with the, uh, the, the average, the median price of, of single family homes, which is another number that came out this week. Oh, uh, which which is higher? Uh, yeah, uh, which is higher? A parking space in Manhattan or a single family home? Man, that's a that's a tough one. I know I know the single family home price has been going up. I'm going to say the parking space at 350 is still still a little higher than the median home price. Not it's, much, but a little bit. It's not it's not. The median home price is slightly higher, but they're just about even. So the number that came out this week for the median home price is it, the, the prices rose something like 23%, which is another crazy story. Yeah, they rose to, to an all-time high of $357,000. So just slightly above the, the three fifty. dollars Wow. I, did, I didn't realize they, they had gone up that much. I knew they were in the 300s this year, but geez, that's that's. Do you really want a car in New York City, though? I guess uh, just to get away on the weekends. I, I would never want to drive in that city ever. I might buy one of those parking spots and then I'll buy one of those tiny homes. You know, have you seen these things? And I'll park it in the parking spot. And I might have the, I might end up with the nicest place in Manhattan with that. I don't know. What do you think, Valdana? You, you can open up your, your, I'm doing quotes, uh, backyard for uh, drinks and, and tapas <laughs> yes. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we have lots of. Yeah, I'm a Midwestern boy, so I was amazed one of my first trips to New York, and I had never seen them stacked 
cars, um, you know, in these <laughs> open parking lots. And I was like, what in the heck is that? And yeah, there were all these just parking condos, I guess it's, you know, and elevators up. And I thought that was just the wildest thing ever, but I, I see, I guess there's, there's huge demand. This, that is amazing. 350 K for a parking spot. I imagine you have to pay some monthly, you know, parking spot sweeping fee on top of that too. It's probably a thousand bucks a month, but probably. Uh, these are both, these are both pretty good. I'll give you mine. I, I think I might end up taking the bronze in this episode, but uh, I'll give you mine. So that, as you know, I've been keeping a very close eye on AMC, uh, the movie theater stock, just because you know, talk about crazy things. And uh, this week it reported earnings. Uh, the CEO obviously has really embraced the, the whole Reddit day trader crowd, which I think you have to if, if you're that guy. I mean, uh, you know, you, your company's going to win or fail based on what Reddit decides to do next. So on this conference call after the earnings, he decided to take questions from individual retail traders. I think he only took one question from an analyst and the rest were from, they call themselves the apes. You know, the, the AMC faithful are known as the apes. I think it's a reference to Planet of the Apes. So here's my question, um, my favorite question from one of the apes. Uh, and the uh, executive, the, the CFO read out the question from a guy named Aaron and it said, Aaron asks, and I promise this is not a sarcastic question, but can you guys make the AMC mascot officially a gorilla? And the response from the CEO, uh, Adam Aaron, is, is just so priceless. You know, he's like, how do you answer these questions? You don't want to offend any of these guys. Uh, and he's like, uh, well, it's an interesting question. I don't know. I don't think we're ready for a mascot, though. You uh, <laughs> said, we're going to watch what I do doing with our marketing programs. And I think you'll be pleased with what AMC is going to do. But he wouldn't commit. Vildana to making an ape the mascot, which I think might explain the, the drop in the stock price after the conference call. I don't know. I'm just saying. Well, just saying. Our, our Bloomberg opinion uh, colleague, Matt Levine, had a hilarious column about this where he laid out a bunch of those questions. And honestly, I was I was laughing reading it. And, and you're right. The very last question, I believe, was from an analyst and there was only one. But it, it begs the question, do you think we need a mascot for the podcast? Oh, Definitely. Let's open it up to the Twitter Twitter. An ostrich. An ostrich. An there ostrich. You go. <laughs> I think an ostrich is in uh is, is definitely in contention. I can sell you one. And if we get anything, <laughs> Chris, Chris has got a deal for us. Well, Donnie, you're just gonna have to sit on the egg in your apartment for a few months. You can do that, right? If I sit on it, I'll break the egg. I don't know, but I have a I, feeling that the, the the they probably sit on their eggs for like years or something. Yeah. Probably. I wouldn't doubt it. The good thing is that if we get anything wrong, we can just bury our head in the ground and uh, and pretend it didn't happen. But all right, with I, if and if you anyone on Twitter, call the hotline if you have a better mascot for us than an ostrich. But I think that's the lead. That's our lead mascot contender at the moment, for sure. So thanks for that, Chris, and we really appreciate uh, your time on the show this week. Really insightful stuff, and hopefully we can get you back to do it again. I, I look forward to it. I'd love to come back. What Goes Up will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Reganonymous. Vildana Hyrick is at Vildana Hyrick. 
You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. And thank you to Charlie Pellet of Bloomberg Radio and the voice of the New York City subway system. What Goes Up is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.